Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance. Your Drance are covering the team for the Athletic as well. Of course, Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Big Wednesday show coming up, as, as always, uh, the crossover with Donnie and Dolly. They'll join us in a few minutes here. Jason Bukla later on in the show. But, Drancer, the Canucks three-game residency in the New York area has come to a close with another multi-goal win against, this time against the New York Islanders last night. Stellar. They were stellar again. You know, the first period, like, especially the first 10 minutes of the first period was low event, like Mm. extremely low event. And yet there's a menace to how this team plays, right? I mean, even with literally nothing going on, it was apparent that the can opener the Canucks could take to the Islanders was significantly sharper, significantly less rusty <laughs> than whatever the Islanders were going to cook up. And and so it came to be, right? I mean, two goals, that Quinn Hughes goal. I mean, I can't get enough of that play. Like, that's – he literally puts J.P. Pajot, who didn't play it well, but let's be real, J.P. Pajot is a really solid two-way forward. I mean, that's not just some guy. That's a, mm. a center – who's consistently provided plus defensive value, he puts him into the dirt with a triple move and finds his way into the high slot before, you know, using that improved wrist shot to beat Ilya Sorokin. I mean, you know, that's like a 5% of guys in the NHL can do something like that if they're skilled wingers play. And this guy's doing that as a defenseman while logging major minutes. I mean, I, I like, I'm running out of superlatives here. You know, the... JT Miller passing up on a glorious scoring opportunity to send it back cross crease. And you know what else I loved about that goal? The moment Pedersen gets the puck and sees that it's sort of that two-on-one situation down low, you can actually watch his skates go wide into that A-frame that he uses when he's attacking. It's the exact same pose in the exact same location of the ice that he used when he gathered that rebound off of... Uh, Shesterkin on, on Monday night in New York. Like, it, you know, there's this, uh, how, how in the zone are you at this point where, you know, you're like, oh, you know, A-frame, I'm going to be able to see this game and process this game more quickly than everyone else by enough to do spectacular stuff. Um, you know, he, he knew he was getting the puck back. I yeah. mean, th- what level of, of, of sort of team like dunk train are you at where <laughs> Pedersen not for a moment thinks JT Miller is going to shoot uncovered from point blank range with with you know a cross seam pass or across a, a crease pass uh, that opportunity I mean you know this is like showtime stuff this is outrageous and and then you sort of look at it and you go okay you know three games here since they sort of put this top line together mm-hmm. and and started playing them with a, a fair bit of discipline uh, as a five-man unit with Hughes and Heronic, right um you know they, they we're at about 20-ish minutes right seven minutes a game more or less and and it's a it's an eight nothing goal differential with uh Pedersen and Miller on the ice or sorry Pedersen and Hughes on the ice together 
across 20-ish minutes, three games. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say about That's that. That's outrageous. It doesn't even feel like – yeah, it's outrageous. I yeah. mean – it's a totally different level, and I, I genuinely think that's what's happened. I, I think you could see it right off the bat in New Jersey, and I, I don't think we've seen anything to dispel it. I still want to see more of it, right? But, you know, I, I, I mean, two, two quotes stand out for me in the locker room. I was talking to Myers about the defensive group, and I was talking to him about some of those decors he played on in Winnipeg, right, where you had Truba yeah. and – you know, uh, Sherratt and Bufflin. Bufflin and Enstrom and Myers all at the same time. Um, and I was just, you know, asking him sort of, how does this compare? And he was like, well, the way that they're playing all the time with, you know, the, the Miller line, um, it, I wonder if it's more like the Russian five. That's what he dropped. Pretty, pretty good and comparison. I thought to myself, <laughs> and I thought to myself and I'm like, that's not even outrageous. That's not even like common, not an instinct. I didn't have a single instinct where I was like, I don't know about that. The Russian five, four of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Like, it's pretty high it praise. Even, it didn't even occur to me to doubt it. <laughs> I was like, sick comp, bro. <laughs> everyone knows your comps are sick. And then <laughs> everyone knows your comps are sick, Tyler. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the other one is Quinn Hughes. So, um, you know, you can watch the Quinn Hughes scrum. And you can see him just start laughing a little bit as I tell him the goal differential toward the end of the mm -hmm. scrum interview. But obviously, once the cameras move, I, I keep talking to him. And I was just like, what's been the key? And he was like, when we have those five guys on the ice together, our five guys are better than any five they're going to put out. And it's like, yeah, sometimes it's simple. Yep. Sometimes it's simple. But, you know, I, I do think the butterfly effect, the consequences, like, I, you know, what we're seeing now and, and this team's been trending well for a bit here in terms of their two-way game. You know, I, I really that Ottawa, since that Ottawa game, like the, the Blues, they weren't on point, but I think we all agreed that wasn't like a game they decisively lost. No. That, that felt like some bounces went against them. Uh, some bounces went the Blues' way. But this is materially different, in my opinion. These last three games looked, felt, uh, based on the data, like th these were materially different in terms of the level of control that the Canucks exerted. And you know, just how sick it looks when their five best players are dunking on the opposition. Well, you win three out of four, or sorry, three and four nights on the road. That's always impressive. That's just an inherently yeah. impressive thing to do. But doing it in this fashion with this kind of rejig lineup, because remember, as, as, coming out of that Blues game, the topic of discussion in the market was is the top six doing enough, right? So then you come and you you change things around so you get the lotto line back together and you immediately answer that question. And that wasn't just a question coming out of the Blues game. That had kind of been lingering there for a little bit, right? Like, okay, hey, they need to go get a top six winger. Who's going to play with Pedersen? You know, can Miller handle these tough matchups? And so it's three out of four. It's three and four nights on the road. It's against, you know, a, a New York Rangers team that's playing really well. I know the Devils are missing some, some guys, but they're still talented. The Islanders are in a playoff spot, but beyond just three and four nights on the road, I think doing it like this and answering that question, it feels like one of the last questions that this team kind of needed to answer, right? That you could have that level, that peak at the top of your lineup to, as you said, kind of just always know you have the trump guard you can put out there. You can put those five guys out there 
and you're going to be in such a dominant position. And they've answered that now. And I think, you know, because of the talent of those players, yeah, you want to see more of it, but the history of the lotto line, the talent of these five players involved, there's every reason to expect it to continue. And from my perspective, like, look, they're not going to play every game. Like we've seen the last three games where they're the Harlem Globetrotters and they're lighting the lamp like that. But for me, just the knowledge that they can get there, you know what I mean? The knowledge that it's in their game, that they can hit that peak. That's huge. And that's huge in terms of, assessing what to expect from this team, what our expectations should be, and what they should do to prepare for the playoffs, right? Checking that box of, oh, yeah, we have this peak in our game is really, really important. It is really, really important, but I also want to see more in terms of what it looks like. Uh, as And more out of curiosity, because I agree with you, and I'd add this. Um, I know we're going to welcome Rick and yep. Donnie, so I, I don't want to stunt too, too long. I, I'm just going to drop this, and then let's come back to it. Uh, in, you know, in segment two or four or whenever we don't have a guest booked. But, you know, this is a wide open league right now. Mm. Like this is not this is not, I think, in year five of, you know, cap stagnancy. This is not the hey, there's a clear separation between the seven best teams in the league and everyone else season. This looks materially different. You know, the best teams in the league have holes. Like every team has a hole in their lineup, it looks to me. Uh, you know, I, I think the anything can't happen thing might need to be retired for a year uh, for sure. Um, you know, added to the list of things I've been wrong about. <laughs> um, but uh, but very seriously, this year, I think we have to change our tune in terms of how we're looking at it analytically, because I, I just don't see a lot of separation between like 12 teams, 12 teams. And that means that the potential leverage of one of those big ads like you've been calling for could be sky high, sky high for a team on their game. All right, let's do it. We do it every Wednesday at this time. It's time for the crossover with our pals, Don Taylor and Rick Dollywall from Donnie and Dolly on Check TV. You can check out the program Monday to Friday, 10 to noon on Check TV. Always a pleasure to have them on for the crossover. Donnie, Dolly, what's going on, fellas? No, I don't think we have the audio here. I can see Taylor's mouth moving, but I cannot hear anything. <coughs> oh, there we go. Hello. Yeah, we got you now. Hello. Hello. Can you hear us? All right. That never happens on our show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Must be wow. your producer. He's a nut bar, that guy. He says it's your producer's All fault. So I don't know. They'll, issues here. They'll, they'll have to sort it out behind the scenes between the two of them. I don't know. Every producer in the world, it's their it's their fault. Yeah, it's always the producer's I'll, I'll, fault. On a busy show, the the Canucks and the Penguins tomorrow, Islanders yesterday, and uh, Pete Carroll being let go. Yes, a lot going on. A lot going on for sure. And look, I mean, we were just raving about three and four nights, and not just winning three and four nights mm-hmm. on the road, doing it in the style they did it in. I mean, we talk about statement games. That was a statement set of games for the Canucks in New York. Yeah, and I and I think the thing that sticks out most for everybody who watched them, and and look, there were some great numbers put up. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, they they won all three games. They swept New York for the first time ever. But just the how spectacular the goals were. I mean, the the 
Pedersen goal yesterday, first of all, started by a, a you know, great steal by Heronic. I think that gets that gets lost, but tic-tac-toe with J.T. Miller. Hughes goal, and then you go back to New York and what was going on there. Just, I mean, I can't remember the Canucks scoring these type of goals on a regular basis for a long, long time. That, to me, sticks out more than anything. And, yeah, the wins are great, but they're also really entertaining yeah. wins with spectacular plays, and that just – that's just not supposed to happen with the Vancouver Canucks. I, I, I like the way Rick Tockett said, you know, they asked him about the lotto line and how you, you got it together. And he says, oh, is, you know, people told me about the history of the lotto line and all that. But 18 points in three games. Whoever came up with the idea to put those three guys together, uh, for them to go through New York like that, like, guys, six goals, six goals, and then five. Um, Pedersen, eight points, you know, five goals. In his last three games, he got his 20th last night. Um, they're just a fun team to watch. You never count them out. They're resilient. Um, the amount of points they get from their blue line is incredible. I think Colorado is the only uh, team uh, from a blue line perspective is that, that has more points than the Canucks blue line, which is at 119. And the Canucks blue line is going so good now. You're sitting guys like Ian Cole out, <laughs> uh, Noah Juleson the other night. Uh, these are good things, as Donnie would say. These are good problems to have. Um, so you look at uh, somebody tweeted their uh, um, six defensemen at the uh, halfway point of last year. I mean, my goodness. Now look at the six. It's 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 a night and day. But I, I want to say this. The biggest difference from last year is they have a management team and the that's on the same page as the coach. And the players are buying in to what the coach is preaching. Uh, Rick Tockett, to me, guys, is – is is made the biggest difference, and because he's got the same core that Green and Boudreau did, but he's doing different things with this core. But uh, what a difference! And if you go back um, the first forty-one games last year, and the first forty-one this year. Yeah, I mean, body issues. Yeah, no, Drance just was thinking of was thinking about his question there. <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm fine. Sorry. I, I thought I was having audio issues, so I was scared to talk uh, from my hotel in Pittsburgh. No, uh, Pedersen, so when this is a five-man unit with that Miller-Pedersen-Besser line and then Hughes-Heronic together, it was about 21 and a half yeah. minutes together in those three games in New York. Eight goals. Mm-hmm. Eight goals for, um, you know, unbelievable yeah. stuff. Uh, how much has that deployment change and what we saw right off the bat from that group changed how you're viewing this team's ceiling because it's significantly altered my opinion on it well you know what uh, uh, thomas i believe you're the one who asked quinn hughes that question that y- y- yesterday post game have i got that right okay yep did you, see, did you notice his face at? when you he asked him smiling that question? Ear to ear. He, he well he his every he just lit right up i mean the, they're most talented players, they were having fun before this, right? Because they're mm. winning games mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time. And now you have the five of them together. I mean, look, there's a kid in everybody. They, they're just loving this, you know, throwing the puck around. They're playing with the most talented players on their roster. And you can tell they're, they're really, I mean, you always look forward to going to the uh, a game when you're a hockey player. It's, it's a whole lot of fun, or at least it's supposed to be, not just a, a job. I think they're having more fun than ever right now. And the fun comes with success. It doesn't, it doesn't get any better. 
That that stats it was a great stat. Outscoring opposition five on five, eight to one. And I, again, I can't get the way Quinn Hughes looked at you when when you remind him of of that. They're having fun. That means oh. a lot. I, I want to uh, uh, mention something more. Donnie's talking about fun. What about the way Connor Garland jumped into Tyler Myers' arms? I mean, <laughs> after the goal. That that tells me that, you know, this team's having a lot of fun is what Don's saying, and it's true. That also tells me that's a good dressing room right now. Mm. Like, you know what, guys? Go back go back to last year. A lot of long faces, you know, a lot, you know, and oh, here we go, another year of losing. These guys are playing for each other. They're having fun. You could tell it's a good dressing room. You can always tell when it's a good dressing room and maybe when it's not a good dressing room. But I thought the way Garland jumped into Meyer's arms last night, I mean, I know maybe people don't read into that stuff, but for me, that that's pretty significant in team bonding, team well, He can fit, too, yeah. so that helps. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's not the, the, <laughs> the tallest guy. But I, I, um, yeah, but I just think on what Donnie said, yeah, they're having fun, and you could tell it. You know, body language is huge in the game of hockey, and these guys are they're they're feeling it right now, feeling it. Well, and I got to say, I mean, he's not the most demonstrative guy, but look at Elias Pettersson going from kind of rotating cast of wingers, and it's Sam Lafferty and Ilya Mikheyev, and you know, Kuzmenko's yeah. there sometimes, but it's not really working out. Now he gets to ride shotgun with uh, with Miller and Besser, and look at that feed, the play he makes with Miller. He wasn't making that play with Ilya Mikheyev before, and I don't know if we're going to see that same kind of yeah. you know jubilation from Pettersson that we see from the other guys, but. It's got to be a good thing that you, they're putting him with those line mates and they're having that much fun on the ice right now. Okay, and, and uh, I can't remember who was doing the interview, but I'll go back to – and look, I focus a lot on what happens with, with reporters and with media. I'm in, I'm in, in that business. But Pedersen – and I think I've got this right, Thomas – I think he actually smiled and kind of <laughs> laughed what? during an interview this week. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. Again, we go back to this, you know, and, and again, you got to enjoy yourself. I haven't seen that for a long, long time. And, you know, and even the goal he scored against New York after he scored it, he just he let out a big whoop. You just don't see these sorts of things. It's it's really fun, fun to watch. And the other thing that Rick and I have noticed, and I'm sure you guys have as well, uh, but on, on Twitter, all the Eastern types, David Amber and Jeff Merrick, uh, and, and we've seen Justin Williams on the Hockey Night in Canada panel or the Sportsnet panel just waxing eloquent about, about the Vancouver Canucks. It was almost like they were discovering them. And again, it's just something we haven't seen for a long, long time. There's a lot of belief in this team right now. And for them to do it uh, with the East Coast voters and the East Coast media, mm-hmm. Donnie, uh, uh, guys, in the last three games, they're, they're, they're making people believe. And maybe the guy, uh, Thomas, your buddy there, that he won't <laughs> rank uh, Quinn Hughes as a three, third-tier defenseman anymore. This is what happens when you play back East and you roll through there like, you know, just a Godzilla. And you know what? right in front of the Eastern voters. Because you know Canucks, when it comes to year-end votes and awards, you know the Canucks are going to be, they're up there in a lot of categories. So for them to roll through New York like this, pretty impressive. Let's just just remember my colleagues at The Athletic, who I disagreed with at the time, had Quinn Hughes ranked 12th among defensemen, but it was the ESPN list that Ooh. had him ranked behind Seth Jones. Yeah. Let's just all remember. I just want to. I just want to protect my buddies uh, uh, just a little bit. Um, no, the. You know, I, honestly, the word that comes to mind, gentlemen, when I think about the type of hockey the Canucks played in New York this week is joyful. Like it's joyful hockey, and I think that's why it's resonating not just yeah. with the Eastern media types, but. 
I, I think in a major way with fans in this market. Rick, we reported over the weekend that the Canucks were wanting to see just a little bit more before deciding whether or not to push chips yeah. into the middle of the table. I mean, how can a game, how can a series of games like that not resonate with Canucks management as they weigh their priorities at line? Yep. Uh, so if you're the Canucks management right now and you just watch them yep. beat the Devils, Rangers, and Islanders, what are you thinking? Like, you know, do you add a big piece, uh, a middle-tier piece, or, or, or just do some fine-tuning? What they do at the deadline is going to be amazing, guys. But, yeah, I, I still, you know, if you decide to go for it all, like Rutherford did in 206 with Carolina, then the first-round pick's going to be in play and prospects are going to be in play, and I don't know, guys. if uh, I, I, I don't know what your thoughts are, Thomas or Donnie, but uh, they're just finally starting to – get some decent prospects and keep their first round picks. Uh, do you want to see them blow all those guys out of the water for one shot at the cup? Or do you, do you bring somebody in and risk, and it worked with Recky and Waite and Jim Rutherford yeah. with, with Carolina all those years ago, but do you risk losing what you have you have right now? And the general feeling is that they need a top six uh, winger yep. or, a, or a center, but what does that what does that mean to, I know a lot of people hate this, to, to, to the room. It, it, look, it, it's a pleasant problem. We'll, we'll throw it in that category. But, Rick, yeah, I'll put these. Uh, Rick, I know you've been talking a lot about the UFA situation, and to me, I look at it, you just look at the guys, yeah. you know, Joshua, Bluger, two-thirds of that line that's playing so well, Zadorov, Myers, Cole, yeah. on the back end, all of them are playing really well. I don't think you're going to be able to keep all of them, so I look at it and say – you can't keep them all. You've found can't. the right mix. You've found this mix. Everyone's playing well. Everyone's in the right yeah. roles right now. I don't know if you're going to get a much better shot at, the, at it than this. And, you know, Drancer was saying before you guys came on, yeah. the league looks pretty wide open right now. Look, it, the trade has to make okay. sense, but I just think everything is aligning. The stars are aligning, and I think sometimes you got to look at that and you got to be willing to push your chips in, even if it means a first-round okay, pick or okay. a top prospect. So, okay, so, Jamie, did the stars not align for the Boston Bruins last year when they set records in the regular season? And they went out and got Bertuzzi and Orloff. Uh, did, did the Rangers not go out and uh, get uh, Kane and Tarasenko? How did they do? Yeah, sure. Like, Some, it doesn't always work out. Know. But like, only one team can win the cup. It doesn't work out. But if they don't make, but yeah, if, but 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 Rick, what if they don't make a move and they go out in the first round? Then they're then we're going to be saying, oh, man, they should have loaded up. They should have tried to go on a run." I'm saying you can increase. It's not. I'm not saying it's well, a guarantee that you're going to win the cup, but you can increase your chances of going on a run if you bring in a big piece. I think you can. Yeah, it, it's really interesting, uh, too. I, I talked about you don't want to mess with chemistry and all that. Yes. But then again, uh, as I sit on the fence, as I often do, uh, <laughs> but then again, if, if you don't pick up a big piece, what does that say to the rest of the room? Like, yeah. if you pick yep. up a big piece, then it's, the management is telling players, hey, we we believe in you guys. Here you go. Away you go. Let, let, let's see what, what can happen. It's really interesting and fun it times. Is. Yeah. But what's the cost? What's the cost? Yeah. Is, it, it. is it a first-round pick in Willander, LaCara Mackey? Are you willing to do that and then go out in the first round like Boston and the Rangers? You know? I don't it's, know. It's like, such a tough call. There's tough always call. risk. There's always risk, right? you got to manage the risk. But, yeah, I would absolutely be willing to do a first and either Verlander or LeCaramacchi for the right piece. Now, that's got to be a really good piece. Wow. Ooh, that's got to be wow. a really, really good piece, right, that you feel really can't confident about. can't be a rental if it's that. It can't be a rental. Price. I don't yeah, get that. I was that, just going to say. Right? You want, you want yeah. the term. Can't you want them rental. to be a, around next year. Yeah. 
But again, I look at this team. I mean, the best goal differential in the NHL, first place in the division with a cushion. They're probably going to have – they're not just going to make the playoffs. They're probably going to have home ice in the playoffs in the first round. Uh, why not? Like, if this isn't the time to go for it, if this isn't the time to push in with the way your best players are playing right now, with the way Talkin has them buying in, when is the time going to be to push your chips in? Okay, so Jamie, you say like you want a guy with an extension, right? Hmm? Yeah, well, a guy with term. A guy with term. Go ahead, go ahead. A guy with term, ideally, yeah. No, yeah. I just like so, that Jamie's channeling okay. uh, uh, Jim Cramer over here. Bye, bye, bye! <laughs> Bye, bye, bye. That's right. Go Boy, for he'd it. He'd be a high roller in Vegas, this uh, Jamie guy. Oh, uh, not, okay? not with my bank. But <laughs> if you want a guy with term, <laughs> you want a guy with term, you, you show me where there's money for term. Pedersen's got his hand out. Yeah. Heronik's got his hand out. You got seven, eight guys that are UFAs. They all want raises. You didn't even mention two guys when you're talking about UFAs Casey DeSmith mm-hmm. and Teddy Bluger, who, you know, all these guys are going to want raises. So where do you have money to acquire a guy and give him an extension for five, six years at six, seven million? Like they're Joshua the, too. Yeah, Joshua. The money juggling they have to do this year, the Canucks, is going to be unbelievable. But unbelievable. See, that's again, like first of all, I did mention Bluger, Rick, when I was listening to UFAs. Didn't mention to Smith, but I okay, did mention sorry. Bluger. I, I, that's all right. That's all right. Smith, okay. But again, like I think right. I get what you're saying about okay, you're going to need those cheap players coming up in the future. But I also look at it and think. You have this mix of UFAs, right? You're, you're, they're not all going to be back next year. So you don't know what your team's going to be like next year. So try to make the most of this year. Try to make the most of how well your team's playing right now. Anyways, I've said my piece, but I, I, I get it. The, I think the UFAs pushes – the UFA argument to me yeah. helps, it helps say that you should go for it this year. You know what helps? I'd add this. If they get a couple of guys from Abbotsford next year that, that move up. Yep. You know, and Bud become Bolden. regulars. Is that going to push them to a Stanley Cup? No, though? no, no, Donnie, yeah. but it helps with the money situation. That's yep. right. Yep. yep. The, yep. I, I, I just think, too, you have to account for the fact that Hironic and Pedersen will not be this inexpensive ever again for this team while their sort of core group is in their prime seasons, right? JT Miller will not be this young again on this contract. Um, you, you don't know if you'll have as healthy a season as this team has had to this point. Canucks fans everywhere, knock wood as I say that. And we all know that the Oliver Ekman Larson buyout cost is sort of coming oh, yeah, down yeah. the pike. Basis. You know, yep. I, I mean, without question, I, I want to note this prominently. Like, I didn't think this team had something like this in them when this team was being assembled by Canucks management. Hats off to them on executing their vision to this point. But, you know, I do still think there is like, this isn't a team with a long window necessarily, right? It's not a team with a one-year window either, but I do think you're looking at a three or four-year sort of sort of window where you can reasonably expect this group to be at their best, um, you know, within the constraints of the cap. I mean, at some point, you, you do want to take a relatively near-term shot. And, and I do think, Rick, as many decisions as you've got coming down the pike, like if your ad is a guy who helps fill – you know, like if it's a if it's a middle six or like a good second line center or winger with size, you know, par- partly you have to think of it as, well, that's the guy who will help us replace Bluger or Joshua. Right. Or, or whatever our forward need yeah. is as those guys price themselves out. I, I, I mean, not not to agree with Kramer over here, but uh, <laughs> I might be on team bye 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 myself bye. at this point, as hard as that is to as hard yeah. as that is to imagine. 
And if you want to keep that lotto line together, as I refer to it, the 649 <laughs> line, the lotto line, I took don't, a lot of heat for that. Don't uh, get us started. Day, don't get us but started. What, what, do you, do you, you mentioned, do you, get a, do you get a center or do you get a, get a winger? You keep them together, yep. and then you probably want a, you probably want a center. For that, for that uh, top six or the or the middle six, as you say, Thomas. You know what, guys? We don't know what to do here. Yeah. Like, like as, as people who cover the Vancouver Canucks, I mean, people who are fans of the Vancouver Canucks out there, people really don't know what to do because it, it's been so long since they've been in this position. Yeah. People, people aren't yeah. sure, and they also know how quickly things can vanish. Well, look, it's a lot more fun to have this conversation than the conversations we were having this time last year. I can tell you that much. And look, before we let you go, I mean, we're debating it, but Rick, you know, it doesn't matter what we think. It matters what Jim Rutherford, Patrick LV and the front office think. Do you have, I know you guys reported they were, they were waiting to see maybe a little bit more. Do you think they'd be willing to put a first round pick or a top prospect or something like that on the table in the right deal? Yeah. Be a late first round pick, right? Don, yeah. don, if if they make the decision as a management group to go for it, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Jamie, if they if they decide in the next week or two to say, you know what, we think we got two, they got to ask, they got to answer two questions: Are we a legit top mm-hmm. team in the NHL? And the second one is, uh, can we play playoff hockey and be successful? If they answer yeah, those yeah. two with yes, they're going to go for it. All right, guys, uh, that was fun. I enjoyed that. We'll leave it uh, on that note for Always. now. We'll do it next week. Thanks for uh, taking the time, and, uh, yeah, we'll chat next week, guys. Bye-bye-bye. Bye-bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Have a good trip. Be safe, Thomas. Be safe. Oh, that's nice. yeah. Safe travels. Uh, safe thanks, travels, buddy. Thomas. I'll, I'll, keep, I'll wear my helmet. <laughs> All right, that's Don Taylor and Rick Dollywall joining us here for the crossover with Donnie and Dolly. And of course, you can check out uh, Donnie and Dolly on Check TV every Monday to Friday, 10 to noon. And uh, always a pleasure to have the guys on. I mean, I don't get it. Like, Dolly's thrown uh, Boston. Oh, Boston went out in the first round. Like, they're not the only team who's ever added at the deadline. So, of course, it doesn't always work out. But. Not adding doesn't mean you're going to win the cup either. There's always risk. Only done. Only one team can win. Let's live a little here. Okay, Mad Money. <laughs> okay, Justin Timberlake. <laughs> I oh man, we'll go to break here in a second. If I am so excited if they make the big swing, like I am. Oh man, I am just relishing the chance to come on the air and talk about it the next day or later on Frothing. in that day. I'm very very excited. What was that, Dom? said you're frothing. I'm positively frothing, yes, to do that. Uh, Okay, (laughs) 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, Lots of reaction coming in there to the crossover, so we can dive into uh, some of that. On the other side, uh, keep your text coming in, and uh, more Canucks talk coming up here on Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online 
at DunbarLumber.com. And the uh, the Dunbar Lumber text line is uh, is popping off right now after that crossover, Drancer. I just got called Jamie Benning in the Dunbar Lumber text line, so that's tough. Tough times for me. <laughs> Thank you, oh Jamie. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, you can shorten my, like, James goes to Jim, so. <laughs> <For> real. <laughs> Look, hey, if Jim Benning had had a team this good, yeah, he should have traded his first round pick to supplement it. Of course he should have. He just never had a team this good. No. No, and. Look, I mean. I do think the price, ha- like, the price can be high, you know, I. People will say LeCaramacchi and Volander should be non-negotiables, and I, I mostly agree with that. Um, you know, the EV of betting on rental players mm-hmm. is tough, right? Like, that's tough. Uh, you know, I do think you can do it, especially if it's like a Barbashev type in terms of their age, where where maybe you'll have an, have, have an opportunity to extend them. But paying for guys who expire and then you lose them, uh, you know, I think those are tough bets to make if you're talking about a Volander or yes. a Karamaki quality asset. Late for one of those guys? Sure, that's fine. That's within, I think, a reasonable level of pain tolerance. If you're going bigger than that, if you're going bigger than that, I think you need to make sure that it's, you know, a, a piece for certainly like the next two to three years. Like looking at sort of the, especially this season, next season, and the year after before the ekman Larson buyout really becomes cumbersome. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that's the time at this point with how this team has positioned itself. Um, and honestly, because this, this team has so much, so many players expiring, like, yeah, it's going to be hard to be as good as this team is this year again next year. But part of losing those guys is also that you get flexibility. You have to price that in too. So you do have, in my view anyway, some ability to commit money, knowing that like realistically you're going to face hard decisions anyway. If the player you bring in right. is a star-level guy, is a guy who genuinely you know, is an easier decision at whatever price point they're at, I mean, to me, that cushions the blow. And, and cushions the blow in a major way. So, you know, I, I mean, I, the more I think about it, the more I'm – bullish on on an aggressive stance and and i'd add this you know i'm in pittsburgh now right i'm just down the road from where rutherford won back-to-back cups yep and while we all talk about recce and wait and we should because those were big moves ahead of the deadline january moves really um you know when rutherford won those back-to-back cups in pittsburgh the deadline moves might have been a little more modest trevor daly justin schultz you know that those Mm -hmm. that tier of moves but the big move that changed the trajectory of that team was a trade for Phil Kessel, who was, you know, one of the 10 biggest name forwards in the league uh, on the day that the Penguins acquired him. Um, and obviously added just a, a ton of gas to, to that Penguins machinery. And, you know, that's part of this. Like, I, I think the target is more important than the hypothetical price. If we're talking about, like, what would you give up? Yep. I think you're missing sort of the boat or missing the big picture or missing what matters. The the target, the player you're adding is where you start and then you figure out the price. Adding salary isn't going to be easy, right? We were talking earlier in the year about Beauvillier as a salary matching piece. Well, he's, he was the salary matching piece as part of his deals to add Zadorov. Yep. 
So you are still going to need to probably send out money or, you know, um, get some injury like luck in terms of LTI shenanigans here if you're going to add a big name player. And, you know, I, I just come back to that overall Rutherford MO, which is if you think you're close and if you think you have a shot, you don't, you know, you don't go get a, a piece and it's like you're tinkering. You go get a star. Mm-hmm. You go get a star and usually an established star, not, not, you know, that Trevor Zegris or like Josh Norris type, hey, th- this guy could be really good and help us for a few years. Although, you know, obviously I'm on Team Zegris and if they're able to do something like that, I'm, I I think that would be a, a really sharp bet. You know, I, I think the established star piece, if that opportunity presents itself, if that piece is a multi-year piece, I, I mean, for me anyway, then I don't think it's helpful to think about non-negotiables. I, I think you go do it. And and try to, you know, try to get one of those banners Alvin likes to talk about. And, you know, to put this in much less analytical terms, obviously love our uh, cross-sports comparisons here, but you look at what Rutherford and Alvin did in the summer, and they've basically hit every shot they took, right? Like, Bluger, we go down the list. Bluger, Cole, Suter, Suter et cetera, et cetera. Trading for Lafferty, trading for Dismiss. Heronic. Heronic. It's all come up, right? It's time for yeah. a heat check. It's time for a heat check. You know what I mean? Like if Steph Curry's hit six threes in a row, he doesn't start passing it up. He pulls up from the logo. That's what I want to see here. Like why not? And that's to the Jim Benning, Benning comparisons as well. When has Benning? When did Benning ever go on a run like that in terms of player evaluation? Right. So I look, first of all, this team's in a completely different position than they ever were during the B- Jim Benning era in terms of how good they are and where they are in the standings this late in the season. But second of all, like. They've hit every note exactly right. I, I'm, why not at this point be willing to take that next big swing? And hey, like a lot of those that we talked about outside Hronik were smaller moves, right? But the Hronik one was a big time move and it's worked out really well. So I'd be all for them seeing uh, go out and kind of test that a little bit again. Now, this text comes in from Jazzy. He says, Jamie, what do you think qualifies as a big swing? For me, it's a top-line player or high-end second-line center, preferably not a rental, basically an Elias Lindholm-type player, but with cost control, and I don't think that's possible to acquire. And as you said, like that is basically – that's where the rubber hits the road here, right? When you start to move from theoretical to specific. Because, yeah, I can look at it and say, like, hey, try to thread the needle both ways, right, and get, you know – a mid 20s center with some term left on their deal and then you're kind of helping the team for the future and you're helping them for this year there's not a lot of guys who fit that mold and very few of them are going to be available right like i i pulled up the list on cap friendly centers between the age of 23 and 27 making between 2 and 6 million so guys not on their elc but not making astronomical numbers here's the list trevor zegris yol erickson eck dylan strom Yes, Perry Kakaniemi, Christian Dvorak, Philip Heedle, Sam Bennett, Jack Rozovic, Kirby Doc, Nick Waugh, Noah Cates, Cody Glass, Morgan Frost, Ryan McLeod, Tyson Jost, right? So some interesting names at the top of that list that might be tough to acquire, but then diminishing returns in a hurry at the bottom. So I agree with you, like maybe it does have to be somebody a little bit older, a little bit more established, and it's not as much of a future-oriented move, but you do it that way, or... And again, with the caveat that the price would have to be modest, I'd be willing to consider a rental if that's if you can't find that kind of ideal unicorn with term that you're happy about adding for the next few years, I'd be willing to explore a rental there too. Yeah. And I think you also have some flexibility 
in terms of what your top six looks like. Yep. You know? I think you can potentially do or a center right impact guy. Yeah, I mean, I'd be pretty key on a center at this point with the way the lotto line has performed. And somebody texted in, uh, Jeff on the island said, what do we need more, speed or size for an addition if you had a choice? My ideal, and again, to keep it kind of theoretical here before we get into the specifics, I think my ideal would be like a really responsible two-way second line center. That would be kind of my ideal. And you let the lotto line do their thing offensively. You pair a really responsible guy with Ilya Mikheyev on the second line, and you build a matchup unit that way, uh, and you free up the lotto line to do their thing. Now, that's not the only piece I would consider making a big deal for. But if we were just drawing it up in a lab, I'm not so much concerned about speed or size. I would want that really effective two-way piece at center on the second line. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that, but I do think size matters. Like, I do think, you know, the forward group in general, right? Like, remember the the line, right? Was like um, too small up front, too slow on the back end, mm-hmm. too shallow in net, right? And the Smith trade helped uh, in that on that front. The defense is moving the puck extremely well, and Zadorov. I mean, that first goal that they score is created by a Zadorov like you know, um, marauding journey into the offensive end. And then, you know, I, I think up front, the sort of size element, I think still matters. Like I do still think there's a need for some, you know, a, a additional heft uh, up front, especially when you look at what the West of what the West, what the rest of the Pacific division looks like in terms of Canucks opponents. And I do want to bring it back to what I mentioned there about this being relatively yep. wide open, right? Because, you know, I I think you sort of go down the list here and, you know, we see, like, let's look at or or just talk about sort of the teams that you could see making a case for actually winning the Stanley Cup. Because I actually think there's like 12. (laughs) It's It's a very different look than it is most years. And like only one of those teams is a team that I don't think you can nitpick. In terms of being like, well, I don't love their goaltending. I don't love their defensive depth. Do they have enough good forwards? Like, you can say that about almost all 12 with one exception. And that exception is the defending Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights. But they haven't played well this year. Yeah. So, it's hard for me. It's hard for me. And then, you know, in the 12-2 would be a team like New Jersey. You know, who's probably a coin flip to make the playoffs based on their health. But obviously their upside, should they get enough guys back in time. To, to start the playoff tournament is massive. I mean, that would be another team where I think other than their goaltending, you wouldn't have a, a ton of sort of milos or concerns to put on them. But then you go, you know, sort of up the list, as it were, right? From from New Jersey, Vegas, you know, Edmonton. Like, I think Edmonton might have the highest ceiling of any team in the league, but we all know that their defense outside of that top pair is a little sus. Their forward depth is a little sus. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their coach is already running a nine-man group, basically. Three lines regularly get minutes for them. And they're, you know, that I haven't even mentioned Oilers goaltending. You know, you get to Carolina. We all know Carolina's, you know, pronounced finishing issues, goaltending issues. L.A., L.A.'s been dropping some games here. Their goaltending issues, like L.A. with the goaltender, but, you know, I'm not too worried about it. Uh, Toronto, that defense... Do they have enough puck moving back there? No, no playoff battle-tested goaltender. Dallas, Dallas's defense, 
You know, I think like you take Vancouver's blue line over Dallas's blue line at this point. Uh, Florida, Florida's probably pretty close, except that they rely on Sergei Bobrovsky. Colorado sort of only has five good forwards. The New York Rangers don't really control play, but they're but they're good, obviously. Uh, the Boston Bruins don't really control play, but they're good, actually. <laughs> um, and then Winnipeg. I, I mean, I, I know I just quickly, like very fast talked uh, a quick ranking. I'm just saying, like, this feels open. This yeah. feels like if the Canucks can find the right piece, you know, I, you're still on the side of a uh, of the bracket that may end up with you know, LA, Edmonton, Vegas, and Vancouver in it. That's mm-hmm. that sucks. That's a tough draw, no matter how you draw it up. You'd, you'd way rather be Winnipeg or Colorado at this point, right? But, um, you know, uh, like I do think the leverage of the right big ad is just as high as it's ever been for this organization in 53 years. I don't think you can be scared of your division, though, right? Like you can't, the plan can't be, and it would be one no. thing maybe if you were a really young team and you were built more for the future, and it's like, okay, hey, the division's shaping up tough this year, let's let's keep our powder dry, but this isn't like, oh, let's wait until the Pacific Division is easier before we push our chips in. As you said, you look at the landscape no. of the league in general, there's a, there's plenty of reason to believe that it's pretty open right now, and look, you're going to have to beat some good teams still uh, if you want to go on a run. So look, I, I get that about the Pacific, but the, to me, that doesn't that doesn't move the needle for me and be like, oh no, I don't want to do too much uh, just because the Pacific Division is uh, is too strong this year. Six fifty six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, a lot of people bringing up Casey Middlestat. Uh, interesting name. I don't know what it would take to ca- to to cash him out of uh, out of Buffalo, but he's you know you mentioned that kind of profile of RFA who's going to have a good arbitration case. They've already got a lot of money committed long term to various right. guys there in Buffalo. Uh, I don't know. That's that's a I, I like the suggestion there at least. Yeah, it's good. But aim higher if you're talking about like or or thinking about the established star like right. Talk three years, size, speed. You know, if you're giving up a Volander or Lakaramaki quality asset, you you better be getting more than middle stat, right? Um, Tuck would be the one who'd jump off the page to me, and Greenway would be the one who 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 would seem far more likely given this team's needs and their need for size. And and then here's the last thing, you know, at, again we we talked about the salary. Uh, Kuzmenko, everyone wants to work out. I think he played really well after he got back into the lineup for these three games in New York. I think that, you know, the details have been there anyway, even if that line hasn't produced, I think they've held their own, which is crucial. If you're going to load up the top of your lineup, you can't have a a, like net negative drag on it, giving back some of the edge you gain. And, and I think that Mikheyev Kuzmenko Pew Suter line has been up to that task and maybe then some. Uh, since being united, but you know that Kuzmenko five point five still looms large to me as, hey, if if this is an all in year, you know, I mean, are you really going to get to a game seven? Like, what if the Canucks are leading at the halfway point of a game seven in the playoffs? How many minutes does Kuzmenko <laughs> play the rest of the game? Over under two point five. Under, <laughs> under a hundred percent. Unless so, there's a dramatic change between you know, now and then, but yeah. I'm, uh, you know, and, and honestly, maybe even if there is a dramatic change, right? Like, I, I do think you have to also start thinking about if you're going to take the sort of big swing that, you know, certainly, you know, my, my broadcasting partner, Jim Kramer over here is advocating <laughs> for, you know, I do think you have to start thinking too about 
you know, we, we better make sure that the weaponry that we're all in with right. is weaponry that we're going to use to the max, right, when we decide to put our foot to the floor um, in a do-or-die situation in late May, right? Like, you have to be at a yes, no doubt yes with every sort of player on the roster. Man, as I said to the guys in the crossover, like that is a fun thought experiment to go through, right? Like who are the guys that they're going to trust in high pressure moments in the playoffs? I love more than anything else. I love that we're in a position where these are the conversations we're yeah. having right now in Vancouver, especially after these last three games. Uh, and we'll have some of these conversations with our next guest, Jason Bukla, uh, who joins us every Wednesday. Guess, get his thoughts on what he saw from the Canucks in their New York swing and some of the places they could look to tinker uh, ahead of the deadline as well. That's coming up next here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. They do have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! With six tenths of a second remaining. That's what I'm talking about. That's the OKC? Yeah. Yeah. OKC. What a shot. shot. Mike Breen. Bang! Bang! Uh, Mike Breen. Ben and I were joking. We need to, like, AI face swap Patrick Alvin's face onto it. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to come on and just open the show with Bang! (laughs) <laughs> when Jim Rutherford goes out and adds a, a star line center, star caliber center Canucks straight before the Mitch deadline. Bang! Bang! <laughs> With six tenths of a second remaining. The ultimate. No, except Rutherford would do it like way earlier in the in the, in the the clock, but he wouldn't wait till six tenths of a second remaining. But yeah, that's what I'm talking about. A heat check. A heat check is what's called for here uh, right now. Uh, yeah. six, it is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jason Buchla is going to join us momentarily on the show uh canucks talk brought to you by avenue machinery and douglas lake equipment be a champion on the worksite find them together online at d-l-e-a-m-c.com we are coming to you live from the kintech studio kintech canada's favorite orthotics provider powered by thousands of five-star google reviews sore feet what are you waiting for 650 650 is the dunbar lumber text line dunbar lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, do we have uh, – yeah, we got we got uh, now, as mentioned, Jason Bukla from Sportsnet, regular contributor here on our show, and, of course, a former NHL scout as well, now joining us on the phone. Uh, Jason, thank you as always. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're having a lot of fun today, man. The Canucks, not just winning three games uh, through New York, but doing it in really entertaining fashion. The lotto line back together, scoring some highlight reel goals. And the conversation here is all about, hey, how far can this team go now? What did you make of those three games uh, against the Devils, the Rangers, and the Islanders? I'm getting to the point now where I'm starting to to project more um, into the future in terms of, so now I'm a believer, right? Like, you know, the beginning of the year was a good news story. And then I started doing breaking things down in segments and it gets to the point where, you know, I'm not seeing enough inconsistencies in the group and I'm seeing a standard and I'm seeing a structure and I'm seeing a lot of really positive things. It gets to the point some days where you're like, okay, you know, you want to poke holes somewhere and that's not really fair to do that. But you get to that stage and this is not an easy task. Like the Vancouver Canucks 
are playing some of their most complete hockey for me, period. And I'm going to try and encapsulate it as best as I can for you. The third goal they scored against the Islanders last night, if, if uh, hopefully some of our viewers watched the game, our listeners watched the game, um, you know, it starts with an F1 forecheck off Miller who takes the body and the puck spills up the boards. And it's like Pedersen to Hughes who walks to the middle of the ice, skill play, right? Goes to Heronic on the half wall, the play directs to the net. Now it, it spills to the middle where the Islanders look like they're going to be able to break up the ice, but Heronic and Pedersen are on it real quick, create a quick turnover, and then it's road hockey in the crease for a quick tuck. What it does for me, guys, is it tells me everything that's going on, skill, will, reaction, taking advantage of your chances. I mean, there's just a lot of really good things. And I love seeing Carson Soucy back in the lineup. I have to say that. I mean, um, I think he was plus four through that little road trip there and or through those three games through New York. And those aren't easy games. They're, they're a bus ride or a train ride. I get it. But that, that's a hard, uh, hard three games. Yeah, and as you mentioned, you know, they put Miller and Patterson and Besser together. They have them out there a lot with Hughes and Hronick. And obviously, you have those five guys on the ice together. There's so much skill, so much talent and creativity. But as you pointed out, they're all, you're also seeing the buy-in and the willingness, willingness to do those other things. And I feel like when you have your top five talented guys doing that consistently and having the results they're having, the trickle-down effect of the rest of the lineup has to be pretty significant as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's a complete buy-in, you know, and, and this is, this is like from when you're scouting a team or you're starting to advance scout a team. Um, and we, as we get closer to playoffs and teams are going to be, you know, kind of understanding who their matchups are going to be in playoffs. And so whoever's going to be advanced scouting the Vancouver Canucks to, as their potential opponent, they're going to start to peel back the onion and, and try and see where they can expose them or poke a hole in their lineup to, to you know, to, to their advantage but there aren't a lot of them. And I'll give you another example. Like on the Tyler Myers goal, um, the transition goal where he ripped one from just inside the blue line last night, if you break down that play, Connor Garland is on his horse from the defensive blue line all the way to the hash marks in the offensive zone. He kind of takes away two Islanders. Like he's on it to the point where he becomes a distraction. Two checks go to Garland in the middle of the ice, opens up another five feet of space for Myers, who's 10 feet tall and he doesn't need any more space. So then he rips a puck on net and, you know, it's in the back of the net. It's a small thing, guys, but when you're engaged all the way up and down the ice and you're filling lanes and you're pressuring in certain areas of the ice, it adds up to team success. And uh, it's impressive. Like, I, 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 I can't I – don't, I don't know. Like, this, is, this has been an impressive story. I'm, I'm running out of superlatives. I'm really impressed by the entire structure of the group. Books, has what you've seen over the course of the past week, because even I'm singing from the same hymn book, like now that their top line is demolishing opponents as the games, I'm pretty excited about what the ceiling could be. What would your top end recommendation be going into the deadline now? I've thought a lot on this, guys, and um, it's delicate for me. And I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why. I, I feel like the group – so if, if you look at building your team down, up the middle, you know, the strength down the middle of the ice. So, you know, when you got Millers and the Pedersons, and then obviously you got the Hughes and, you know, the Ronics, and then you got a good identity in the back end with the Susies, et cetera. Um, and then you got Vesna quality goaltending. 
the buy-in of the group, whoever you add has got to be able to fit the structure, i.e. like a Sam Lafferty did when he came in. Like, what a great pickup that was early in the season to set the tone for the bottom six. You know, a guy that's been transportable up and down the lineup, but really, you know, play within the structure. I'm not so much looking for um, a home run name, you know, a big, big name. I need another glue guy, some more structure, some more meat on the on the bone that's going to be able to play the right way and continue to, to toe the rope in the direction that we've settled in. And here's the other thing. I mean, I'm not so sure I want to give up a ton of, of my draft capital because I really do like our group and I like our attitude of our group. Um, and then beyond that, obviously term isn't something that I'm really interested in either because with William Nylander's contract being um, inked in Toronto, it's only a matter of time here before we start talking about what Pedersen's contract's going to look like. And yes, the cap's going up, but there's going to be a lot of moving parts behind the scenes. So um, I, I don't know how much I want to necessarily add. I think they've got a good thing going for them here and they're all pulling it to work together. And, and that's a delicate process sometimes to add somebody to the room. It's got to be the right person. With regards to where this team's positioned, you know, because I, I think you're dead on that you've got to start with the target, not the price you'd be willing to pay for said target, right? That's how that's how mistakes that's get right. made. We've got to make a big ad as opposed to finding the right guy. It, how would you identify, like, if you were to add as a Christmas present, one item, a uh, late Christmas present, I suppose, one item for the Canucks to just sort of airdrop, no cap considerations involved, no, no price. Like, factor that in. Just template player. What could this lineup use if looking to load up for a playoff run? Oh, boy, oh, boy. Well, I guess, I mean, if I'm – you never have enough defensemen. I mean, historically, you know, teams that, uh, that go on Stanley Cup runs, they end up using about eight defensemen. And as good as, um, you know, some of the replacement-level guys have been for the Canucks while they've been dealt you know, with, with some injury and stuff like that, I guess I would still fish in, the, in those waters. A name that I would honestly go after as a safety blanket is someone like a Nick Sealer out of Philadelphia. You know, another big, rangy body. He's making, he's making the league minimum. Uh, the Flyers are on record that they would eat some of the salary even. And then, of course, you'd be, you know, there'd be a cost involved, whether it be prospect or, or picks. But um, somebody like that, and, and that name doesn't, isn't going to jump off the page at anybody. And it's not going to be like, you know, this is, this is awesome. Um, but I don't, I think up front, there's so much synergy going on up front that I don't necessarily want them to adjust to another high octane forward because that takes time guys, you know, to like habits and all those types of things. I don't think you need that, but on the back end, it would be easier to fill another big body to make things even more miserable on your opponent. And, uh, I would love a Nick Sealer type guy, uh, similar to a Susie, who's going to shut down opponents, block shots, play heavy, hard, and uh, really rangy. So um, it's not sexy, but that's kind of where I'm going. What about, because uh, up front, and again, you know, this is kind of pie in the sky a little bit, obviously, because you you want to make sure that the, the price is right and all of that, and, the, and there's fit uh, questions. But, you know, up front, before they got the lotto line back together, there was a lot of talk of, okay, a winger, maybe to play with Pedersen, kind of top six caliber winger. You know, Jake Gensel's name was out there. Oh. Now you move Miller and Pedersen together, and all of a sudden it looks like, 
maybe second line center is more of a need. Let's say they were shopping for a top six. Would you prioritize center now, or would it just be a case of let's go get a good player who fits our system, who you know whose character we like, and we're not as concerned about position? I think that I think that we're at the stage that the, the character is definitely going to have to be at, at the top of it. Um, but beyond that, anytime you can get a centerman, um, they're worth their weight in gold come come the hardest time of year because of well, for a variety of reasons. And obviously, generally speaking, most centermen can slide to the wing in a, in a yeah. must need, but it's really hard for a winger to slide to center, right? So, um, you know, I, 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 would, I would look at that for sure in the middle. Um, you know, you, you throw a name like Jake Gensel out there, um, you know, Phillies or primary Pittsburgh's kind of come back to life a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, if the cost wasn't, so obscene, you know, like an Elias Lindholm out of Calgary would be a nice fit in the middle of the lineup. Like that would be a good player in the middle, you know, mm-hmm. um, what's what the cost association would be. I don't know, because again, guys, I don't feel like we need a guy who's going to come in and be a point of game guy. Plus, like if that happens, I think that's great. But what we need is we need, you know, every time the, the, uh, our units roll over the boards, we have to strike some sort of structure and fear in our opponent. And so we need that continuity and that consistency to wear down our, our opponent, uh, you know, when the games get really hard. Um, and that's why, like, in a Lindholm where, yeah, he's going to chip in offensively, but he's also going to be able to, you know, do some other things defensively for you. Um, that's like a safety blanket plus. So uh, I hope that makes sense. It's, it's, you're piecing it together to strategize to wear down your opponent come playoff time. But the buy-in has got to be extreme because I feel like that's what we're all about in Vancouver this year. We've all been about turning over a new leaf. This is the way we want to play. This is our team identity. Whoever we bring in, you better buy into the way we play. How much along those lines, how much would you prioritize adding somebody with, uh, you know, a lengthy playoff resume specifically. And, you know, this is a Canucks team that as a core, they had the bubble run, but other than that, haven't been to the playoffs. Now they do have veterans who are new this year. You know, Ian Cole obviously has an incredible playoff resume. Teddy Bluger has been there with Vegas last year, but you know, at the top of the lineup, there's not a ton of experience in that regard. I know it can be dangerous to chase that, right? Because first and foremost, you got to be able to help out on the ice, but how much, would you be willing to prioritize a little bit of uh, a player's playoff history? I think that that's a, that's something that you do factor in. Absolutely. Because there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes, preparation wise, um, you know, when your back's against the wall or, or, or a veteran player who's been there, who can feel the stress level going up in the room, who can be that type of calming influence, uh, you know, when the cards are on the table like that. I think that that is definitely a factor when you're, when you're adding at the deadline um, in this type of scenario. So, don't discount that. I, I think you're onto something. Um, everybody's going to be looking for those kind of players, you know, because they're going to be yeah. mid-range expense probably. And, uh, and then, of course, you're going to factor in a lot of those veteran guys, especially with playoff pedigree, as we all know, they've got some sort of level of trade protection in their, in their packages as well. So um, it takes a little bit of work, but I, I guarantee that, especially you look who's running the show in, in Vancouver with Jimmy Rutherford, and, and Patrick Alvin, and then obviously talk who's been there, you know, as a player, they know that the type of veteran guys that they could add to their, their room and the value of those guys. And it won't be a sexy name either per se. It won't be like, it doesn't have to be a big, big name. It could be like a, you know, I'm not saying it is this guy, but you know, like the, the Felinos of the world or, 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm just off the top of my head here. I'm just trying to think. I can't really do it right now off the top of my head, but you understand what I'm saying, like somebody yep. with a presence. So, um, But it's delicate because going forward, this core group, it is their team. This is their team. So they've got to learn to do it too. Jason, you, you bring up Rutherford's history, and, you know, I, you think about that first year that he had in Pittsburgh where they – you know, didn't make the playoffs till the very last day of the year. Constant scrutiny. The Mike Johnston hire was not a good one. They go out in either four or five games in the first round, and then they start the next season slow after the Sullivan hire that they just go on this massive heater of hitting depth players. How similar does this feel right now looking at this team and, and what we've seen the last six months versus what we saw in Rutherford's sort of first 18 he took over in Vancouver. Yeah. yeah, now that you bring it up, I mean, it's got a lot of similarities, doesn't it? It really does. Um, he inherited uh, the situation last year with, with the coach, and they made a change. And, and of course, the, the Vancouver market in itself almost swallowed up uh, everybody in short order last year. And um, this, is, this is very similar. Uh, I, just, I just looked in my notes, like some of my targets here. Sorry to kind of go off the grid here, but I think Adam Henry the guy. What do you guys think about that name? Like, I think Adam Henrique is the type of target that I would go after. That's mm-hmm. that's the middle six kind of guy with uh, a long a long run of experience and plays the game the right way. But anyways, I digress. Um, yeah, it's it's there's a lot there. There's a lot. There's clearly a trust in the organization right now, guys. If you can feel it, you know uh, everything's different. Like when I was at the World Juniors and I'm watching Patrick walk around, or I'm watching you know, the Canucks brass walk around, everything's different right now. Like they, they now feel like it's their structure, their team, if you will, their type of uh, mojo. And, uh, and they feel better about themselves. I mean, it's a slippery slope. It's pro hockey. We all know that things could change on a dime, but um, kudos to them because I was critical almost a year ago. Um, I wasn't sure about the, uh, you know, the trade deadline, how it went. And, um, uh, I was so far, I was very, very wrong. The heroic trade has, has elevated a lot of people and uh, it's been full value. I was wrong as well. Hey, looking at. Whoa, Jason, he slipped that in there the... real quick. I think I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, uh, I think a lot of us missed the plot on the, on some of what happened after the deadline or, or at least certainly it looks that way through 41 games. Uh, Books with, Regards to Rutherford's history again, right? You think about Carolina and and the weight deal, recce deal. Those obviously stick out. You think about Pittsburgh, and it was a little more conservative at the deadline, but the big swing, you know, happened the summer before with the with the Phil Kessel trade, right? Yeah. Established star forwards to put a team over the top has sort of been a, I guess, an mo. Uh, uh, a signover that Rutherford has pulled off for winning of his stand. Um, can you think of a? Can you think of a, anyone around the league who would be available that would fit that sort of bill? Do you think that's something this team could use in, in terms of adding an extra gear ahead of the playoffs? Oh, yeah. So, like when we when we when they did the castle deal in the summertime I and mean, we were still talking about phil castle 40 goal type you know yeah um obviously warts all over the ice but uh you know playing to uh to a certain ammo um 
Mm-hmm. I don't know, like at the at, on a on a top six type of thing. You know, if you want to have a some real significant uh, pie in the sky things, like there's some names out there that I'm starting to hear that are young uh, young stars that might be available, and, and we're not going down that road. Like you know, like uh, I would never go is shopping. Or probably I would shop, but I wouldn't. I can't believe that Trevor Zegers' name is being floated around a little bit out there. See that that's asinine to me. I wouldn't be wouldn't ever be shopping him, but I've heard his name and I don't think that that's something that Vancouver wants to do. You know, but the cost will be too much. Um, the only other guys really, I don't see a top six, like, like score, um, you know, two way type guy on the power play. I don't like Gensel, I guess would be the guy. Like if Pittsburgh, if Pittsburgh were to fall off a little bit here in the, in the coming weeks, um, you know, and then what would the reluctance be to, to make a Jimmy Rutherford deal with the Pittsburgh Penguins? You know, like, I don't know where that is behind, behind closed doors. But the Gensel thing, that would be an enormous get, obviously. I mean, that would, wow, your top six would be, you know, next level. But Pittsburgh's going to have to fall right out of the playoffs for that to happen. And then they're going to have to eat money, too, because he's, his cap is like $6 million. So, um, but maybe they look at Kuzmenko guys. Like maybe that's yep. the guy that they that they value, and you can kind of massage the money a little bit and make it fit. So, um, and then of course what that does is is it gets the Canucks potentially off the Kuzmenko uh, off the books with Kuzmenko in the off season, and then you can revisit Gensel if that was your guy, or the money goes back into the bank and you go shopping elsewhere. So, I guess if I had to throw mud at the wall, uh, that would be the name that I'd, I'd monitor the most closely. Um, you know, secondary guys, you know, is Sean Monaghan, somebody that they want to kind of keep an eye on in Montreal for a variety of reasons. Obviously, your second unit power play would go to another level because that's where he does a lot of his scoring, and he's really proficient in the face-off circle. So, um, but the more that I sit here and talk to you and then the more I talk to myself, as that's what I feel like I'm doing right now, <laughs> Jake Jake Gensel, I think Jake Gensel is a guy just to keep an eye on in the back of our mind. And, you know, in general, Jason and uh, Dranzer and I were talking in the last segment of the show, and, and he made the point that the league feels a little wide open this year, right? That there's not necessarily yeah. that class of, you know, five teams that you feel pretty confident one of them is going to be the Stanley Cup winner. And, you know, we are kind of going through it, and you can find 10, 12 maybe that you say, hey, yeah, they could win this year, and the Canucks are certainly in that mix. Do you agree that it feels a little bit more uh, wide open than it does in a typical year? I do agree with that. And that's also part of the reason I'm glad you brought it up because that's also part of the reason why I don't on balance right now, if you, if today you go by what you know, and this isn't the way it works, I get it. But on balance today, we know that the Vancouver Canucks, uh, if you take a look at the way that we're, we're constructed and the way that we play on balance against anybody in the league, is there not, I would take a game against anybody in the league today. It doesn't matter. Like, let's just face off. Let's get it done. I feel good about my group. That's part of the reason why, you know, it's delicate when you get towards the trade deadline that you don't stir the pot because that it's, it's, it, it can sway things one way or the other, 5% or 10% one way or the other. Like if, if your game is off 10 points because, uh, you know, you're not feeling as comfortable because you brought in this guy to play in your top six and now the, the whole, uh, everybody's kind of out of whack a little bit. That can affect the entire group. That's why I'm saying what I'm saying. Like it's, it's got to be a, a perfect fit. Otherwise, run it out the way you know you're comfortable running it out. Because to your point, the parody is ridiculous. Mm. And you got to invest in a quality goaltender. Let's be honest. This kid could steal a, a series on his own. And sometimes in playoffs, you need that. 
but the rest of the group is is pulling the the rope in front of them too. So I don't know. I really like the way the Canucks look, guys, and um, and and I love when I when they pan the bench and talk. It doesn't look like he's happy one minute of the game. It's fantastic. I love it. It's old school. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Hey, Jason, appreciate the time, man. And look, it, it, we've said this a bunch this show, but uh, it's great to be having these conversations. And we got a bunch of hits before the t- trade deadline as well. So we'll be able to pour over all the rumors and all the potential ads with you. We appreciate it. Have a great week, man. Yeah, I look forward to it, guys. Uh, look forward to talking to you next week. Have a, Enjoy the rest of your time. Thank you. That is Jason Bukla from Sportsnet former NHL scout joining us here uh, as he does every Wednesday and uh, not, you know, as somebody texted in, uh, uh, somebody said boo, bye, 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 when he was saying that he wouldn't necessarily go all in. And obviously I feel the same way, but uh, love Jason's perspective and, uh, uh, you know, chalk up another one on, hey, it's pretty wide open this year. Now maybe you react to that fact in in different ways, as Bukla said, well, maybe that makes you feel better about what you have because you're pretty confident in how you match up with all these teams right now. But I do think it's a relevant thing to consider uh, as we start to get closer to the deadline and debate, wonder, speculate about how the Canucks are going to position themselves. Lots of text coming in here. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Lots of suggestions about trades, lots of other thoughts. So we'll get in to some of those on the other side. Final segment coming up here. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650.